0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios, and of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with John Atala. John is a senior counsel in Foley's Los Angeles office, where he's a member of the firm's litigation department, focusing on consumer finance litigation and consumer class actions. Our conversation begins with John sharing about growing up as a first-generation Lebanese American in Garden Grove, California. John describes growing up in California, but still spending most of his summers in Lebanon, an experience that ultimately left him with a foot in two very different worlds. John also discusses his legal practice, what it means to be focused on consumer-related litigation in California, and he also talks a bit about when he's had occasion to use Arabic in his day-to-day practice. As usual for The Path and The Practice, this conversation is wide-ranging. We touch on a lot of things that I won't be able to summarize here. But I will say, interestingly, we get into a bit of a discussion about lawyer identity and how often lawyers see their lawyerness as a deep part of themselves. But we talk about how important it is for attorneys to also be involved in other things and to essentially be more than just a lawyer. But also John reflects a bit on this very strange time during the COVID-19 pandemic, what he's doing day to day to make it through this sort of weird world that we're all in. And then finally, John gives some fantastic advice to law students about how to find a firm with the right cultural fit. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, John, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alexis, how are you?
0: I am excellent. I am a broken record who always says, I'm so excited to have you here, but I am. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: And I am so excited to be here, so thank you.
0: Excellent. And it's fun. People can't see this, but you have like a legit recording mic. So this is just like a super legit podcast right now. (laughs) Well, let's start by having you introduce yourself.
1: Sure. So I'm John Atala. I am a seventh year attorney, senior counsel at Foley and Lardner. And I work in the uh, consumer class action practice, uh, handling a variety of litigation matters.
0: And where are you from?
1: I grew up in Garden Grove, California. Originally, I'm the son of, well, my parents are both uh, Lebanese immigrants, and they moved here back in the 80s. But we've lived since then, or the family home has been in Garden Grove all these years.
0: My goodness, I can't help but make certain pop culture references. When I hear Garden Grove, I think of Sublime. Sublime, of course. Just <laughs> now that song is in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> so every-
1: Let's not get into the details.
0: We will not. We will not. That's not appropriate. But yes, I'm a child of, I guess, the 90s, having grown yeah. up in the 80s. So, with your parents being Lebanese immigrants, it sounds like they immigrated here before you were born. Is that right? That's right. So, tell me about that. What was that like growing up in Garden Grove as, you know, Lebanese?
1: Well, it was a nice place to grow up. The problem was, at least back then, no one had ever heard of Lebanon or anything. And it was always, you know, a a challenge trying to (laughs) relate to people or convey to them where the family's from and all of that. But I mean, on the whole, if I were to be giving Garden Grove a, a review today, it would have gotten a five out of five stars. It, it was a great place to grow really? up. And my parents are still there, I think, probably in large part because my dad could never leave his garden behind, but it's uh, <laughs> it's that's the way it is.
0: <laughs> well, and is there much of a Lebanese community in Garden Grove, or was there one when- you were a kid. I just I want to know more. Yeah. So,
1: so there isn't, and there wasn't the closest community. Uh, there's sort of like a, a Middle Eastern community of sorts in Anaheim, and then in some other parts of Orange County. But there wasn't really a, a ton, you know, of that in Garden Grove. I'm not entirely sure what what drew my parents to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's my next question. What? How did they end up there?
1: Yeah. So here's the deal. My my dad moved from Lebanon in the 70s and left, well, I should say he moved to New York and lived there for a few years and then moved to Dallas. And then his brother joined him out there and they did a variety of things. They were painters and they went to school. And when I say painters, I should say they they painted houses, (laughs) not the artistic sort of thing. I'm sure they were very artful in their ways. And my dad went to the University of Texas uh, at Dallas out there and got his bachelor's and then his master's. And eventually they moved out to California together. He went back to Lebanon for a little while, and this was during the Civil War out there. And uh, that's when my parents got married and they moved back out to beautiful Garden Grove.
0: Yeah. I just had to Google Garden Grove, California, which is that considered like a suburb of Los Angeles? What's the relationship? No, I think
1: I, we would take offense. I didn't, I didn't
0: want to offend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm kidding. It's the same thing. You know, when, when the angels change their name to the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim, it's like, this has nothing to do with Los Angeles, but you know, we're close enough that.
0: Is it a surfing? So I see you're not that far from Huntington beach. Like I'm really just trying to get a vibe
1: yeah I mean, we spent a lot of time out in Huntington growing up, and that that's the closest beach, so it was a lot of of beach time and that's I guess a lot of what the community was about before we had like a bunch of families who would leave and go surfing you know first thing in the morning and you'd see them you know hanging their wetsuits out to dry at eight a m or something when we'd be leaving for school. I don't think it's as much about that anymore, but yeah, it was that way.
0: That's interesting. I've once I was in Huntington Beach a couple of years ago for a conference. And yeah, I've picked up a little bit of that vibe. But that it's just interesting for me because I I can't remind you or the listeners enough. I'm I'm very Midwestern. Like I'm just very Midwestern through and through. So I, I appreciate when um guests to the podcast will elaborate a bit yeah. on where they're from and maybe how that was a bit different. But since so, so So I tend to jump to the when did you know you wanted to be a lawyer, which kind of zooms me straight through elementary school, middle school, high school. (laughs) But maybe before we get there, can you tell me what like middle school John was like or high school John was like? What were you into?
1: Uh, What was I into back then? Computers, big time, and astronomy. So how does that get us to the law? I I don't really know. (laughs)
0: I don't know, but I'm glad I asked. That's just interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, one of my big hobbies used to be, and it's something I still do occasionally, but building computers and like programming and that sort of stuff. I just like having projects like that.
0: You, Where did you go to college?
1: I went to University of California Riverside.
0: And in college at that point, did you know law school was where you were heading?
1: I thought law school would be a, a good option back then. I majored in political science, international relations, and then did a minor in English as well.
0: So that's pre-law. You're essentially pre-law with us.
1: (laughs) We're a dime a dozen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anybody who's a poli-sci major is is pre-law. Where else else are you going to (laughs) go? Because the political science and factories aren't usually hiring. It's (laughs) true.
1: They're really cranking it out, but the jobs are tough to come by.
0: Go to law school. And then where did you go to law school?
1: I went to Columbia, New York.
0: All right. So tell me about that. You. It sounds like you did know law schools where you were heading. As I recall, you didn't take time off in between? Or did you?
1: Uh, for a year after college, I worked in DC and I did what was called the, and I think it still is called the UCDC program as my last semester of college. And so while I was there, I worked in the Senate for Barbara Boxer for a semester and then, you know, tried to get a a job in the Senate or the House, and it was in 2009, right at the height of well, everything that was going on back then with the economy. So those jobs were impossible to find.
0: Yeah, so you said I'll just go to school.
1: Well, not uh, almost, almost. Oh, okay,
0: keep I going. I started,
1: you know, with the lsad and prepping and all that, the applications, and I ended up working at a lobbying firm. They hired me on as a temp employee, and my temp appointment quickly turned into a, you know, pretty permanent position there. And and we did some good work for, uh, must have been 10, 11 months.
0: Oh, that's great. great. Out there. Then law school.
1: Then law school. So I had to go to New York, obviously, because my dad hated New York. I was going to ask not to go there. What
0: was the <laughs> dynamic with your parents, right? You're like now on the other side of the country.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, it was a tearful goodbye from From mom. And then my dad said, okay, well, this is your chance to see what it's really like out there. I mean, I'd been living in Riverside for four years at that point and in DC, you know, for a year after that. So, I think they kind of got used to the idea that I wasn't going to be home. But there was still something about, you know, going and moving to the big city and all of that.
0: Well, and why, I forgot to even ask you why you wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've established that you did. We know you are. It
1: started in <laughs> elementary school when I was interested in astronomy, right? Exactly. Oh, i kidding.
0: <laughs> I looked out into the night sky and I yeah. thought.
1: <laughs> of all the things that I could be. Yeah. Well, it was, it was sort of a mix of things. There was some point in, in high school or maybe early college that I, I kind of started thinking, about the way the world works, I say that like really generally, but there's something about the framework of the law that I've found interesting for a long time. So I realized that at that point, let's say
0: and go back. so you're you said high school, so you're contemplating the framework of the law as like a a teenager, like I just want-
1: I'm not going to pretend that I was, you know, <laughs> addressing this at a high level. I
0: was like, I was like, slow, slow down. I had to slow you down. I was like, deep deep thoughts at 16.
1: No, that's exactly what I needed. Okay. So let me back up a little bit. My uncle in Lebanon, his name is Rabia. He's, well, he was until I became a member of the bar, Mm -hmm. uh, the only other lawyer in our family and he's been doing this for about 30 years now. And, you know, growing up, we used to spend a lot of time in Lebanon, and I spent a lot of time at his law office and saw how he helped, you know, his clients, their people and, you know, small companies uh, in the suburbs of Beirut. He was helping them to, to overcome, you know, the various problems and disputes they had and everything. So I was exposed to that i think starting at a pretty early age and i'm not going to pretend that that you know <laughs> put me in a position to contemplate the law or anything like that in high school but i thought hey this is kind of an interesting you know sort of thing to do and there are different ways that that you can approach helping people like doctors go to school kind of to see the world in terms of the way the human body works. And then to help people using that framework, like engineers go to school to figure out how the world works from a mechanical or electrical or structural perspective. And then they help people like that. So I thought there was a lot to be, you know, said about yeah. going to law school. And- I'm glad yeah. I pushed
0: on your high school self yeah, because yeah. otherwise I wouldn't have caught that connection and the exposure, right? which I think, is that is interesting for a number of reasons because I think you just said that you all would visit Lebanon pretty frequently. Yeah. So one, I mean that that sounds like quite a dichotomy going from Garden Grove, California to <laughs> you know Lebanon. I'm not sure how frequently, but but also while you're there spending time with your uncle who's a lawyer. Yeah. So both of those things are are very interesting. Although what what was that that like? Because for me, I mean, I'm someone who grew up here, didn't really leave the country until eighteen or 20, let alone having that perspective of, which I don't know if it's sort of like a foot in two worlds, even if you could elaborate.
1: I think that's exactly how I'd describe it. And so from a very early age so i've i've got one brother he's a couple of years younger than i am from a very early age we would go back and forth from from lebanon pretty much every summer so we never you know like went to summer camp growing up i didn't even know what summer camp right, was right cuz you're but gone but yeah. yeah exactly and all the other kids are doing their Uh, They're fun things and playing video games at home and and who knows what else. Meanwhile, um, we're hanging out with our our grandparents and aunts and uncles and everything in Lebanon for like maybe six, eight weeks every summer. Uh, And then eventually it became every other summer. And then the summers here, we would, you know. Uh, get on the road.
0: The social life starts and it did it hit a point where it was, you didn't want to be gone that long because it was summer or did it just change for other reasons?
1: I think it kind of changed for other reasons. Like we, we just were the roots eventually grew Deeper, I think, here for my parents and mm-hmm. some of their siblings. So my aunts and uncles uh, moved to California and to Texas, and then there was more to do here. You know, with with the family, we, we've still got a lot more family in Lebanon now. But you know, the the trips, I'd say it's it's been every other summer for the past several years now.
0: That's fantastic, and I just yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like to have that perspective as a as a kid, frankly, but when, how much time did you spend with your uncle? Now I'm curious, I swear everyone, we will move forward. But it's not only visiting Lebanon to see family, but it sounds like you're like, actually getting a little bit of exposure to what he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really what what it was, was he had a home office in the same home that my mom, he and my mom had grown up in. And that's where my grandma still is in a city called Antilles. And uh, he's got his home office sort of in the lower level of that house. So it was always like, you know, we were playing outside with our cousins and then he'd come out of the office and we'd spend some time together and then we might join him in there and just see what he's working on and, you know, play with the huge copier. That's, you know, just things that kids do. Right. So, it wasn't really that, that I learned anything. about. I know.
0: Meanwhile, I'm like, did he have you read pleadings or like, what was your experience?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. No, no. I didn't learn anything about the Lebanese legal system other than like seeing him dress up and go to court. And some days I, I went with him just to kind of see what it was like. Really? Yeah.
0: You said that really nonchalantly. That's cool, but also different.
1: Yeah, it was, It was. what would I compare it to? Kind of like a bring your kid to work day. Okay. In the sense that I would just go and like sit in the back of the courtroom or sit uh, in the hallway or that sort of thing and kind of see how he interacts with people. But it was more, uh, I don't know, maybe from a very early age, he was trying to push me in this direction.
0: <laughs> and, it, and it worked. It okay. worked. He got okay. me. So we've explored a little bit more about the exposure there. That's really interesting, though, to not only... Be thinking about the legal system, as you said, but I mean, you actually knew that other countries had legal systems and you could be lawyers other places. That's more than probably I knew in, you know, middle school or high school, but you're pre-law. You go to Cornell, wait, Columbia. Sorry, I was was going to say Cornell. My apologies. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, uh, no, Columbia. What's that like? What's law school like for you?
1: Law school was fine, is how I would describe it. (laughs) Fine.
0: There's more words to say than tell me more.
1: Some people had a really amazing time in law school and they found themselves and all of this. I wouldn't describe it in those terms. It was a challenging time. And then living in New York had its own challenges and all of that. And I was excited to kind of wrap up and then start working and Mm -hmm. ideally do that in California. So. I can't say enough good things about Columbia as an institution and my classmates. It was a wonderful experience in that respect, and I learned a ton. But I don't look back on law school as like this fun, amazing (laughs) time in my life.
0: (laughs) It's funny. I think I fall midway with the law school talk because as you you just, I think, more than alluded to, some people have this really romantic experience in law school. They're like, law school was amazing. I loved it so much. And others are like, no. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I went and it's over. Yeah. It sounds like I think I'm more middle of the road. But um, and I am curious, though, you were in New York. Did you know the goal was to get back to California?
1: I think pretty early on that. Okay. That was my goal. And that was sort of. Okay. I I was going (laughs) to say, it's sort of the light at the end of the tunnel. I was not in this (laughs) dark place or anything. I know. How did you really feel? No, but really, I mean, my family, I I grew up in, in California. I love my parents and my brother, and they were out here and I had all the friends that I'd made in high school and college and everything. So then to go to New York and be in a place where I don't know, I was kind of just like stuck in Manhattan and and Brooklyn and all of a sudden didn't have a car and a means to get out and go to the beach or the mountains or it was sort of a bunch of things. I'm just not a city dweller, like Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And I I think that had a lot to do
0: with it. Yeah, well, and I think it can feel depending on your personality and what you enjoy a little bit claustrophobic from what you're describing, where you're just like, particularly for you, I mean, you grew up next to the ocean, essentially, (laughs) to not have access to nature in the same way, or even transportation in the same way. Yeah. That makes sense. So how does Foley come onto the scene then?
1: Well, there's this exciting period in every law student's life (laughs) called OCI, or, you
0: know, on-campus
1: interviews, yeah, or by any other uh, number of names. And Foley was one of many, many firms that I interviewed with. And I distinctly remember that interview in a way that I don't remember. I, I should say in contrast to, to how I don't remember <laughs> many of the others, except, well, there are a couple. Of-
0: <laughs> right, and maybe I, they're and not. for working. other
1: reasons. Yeah, well, and, and it's because of how they went and the, yeah. the sort of questions I was asked. Uh, I distinctly remember sitting down with Jaime Guerrero in our Los Angeles office and having just a really, good conversation about what I wanted to do as a summer, what Foley had to offer and both in terms of opportunities as a summer associate and then opportunities for career growth. And I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of that really has come true and it started coming true from a very early point in time at Foley.
0: We're going to get there. Yeah, yeah. So Jaime and I you're not the first person who's mentioned Jaime played oh, really? a big role in their decision to come to Foley. So I just, I think that's fantastic. And Jaime Guerrero is a longtime partner of the firm. And also he is one of the chairs of our Hispanic affinity group. But so you then, you're, you're summer associate at Foley. I'm guessing, what is that like your 2 all summer?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. Then you go ahead, you finish law school. We don't need to talk much more about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you you come back to Foley and- did you know litigation? What caused you to end up in litigation?
1: <laughs> I think from the beginning, like before I, I decided to go to law school and all of that, it was going to be uh, litigation and and advocating for clients in that way. So it wasn't really a decision that I had to make for myself at at that point in time.
0: Yeah. So tell me about your practice then. I know you mentioned, Do you say primarily consumer... I was about to say consumer finance, but that's not right.
1: Well, well it is in large part consumer finance oh, and it is, okay. sort of under the umbrella of consumer class actions more broadly. Okay. So my practice has sort of morphed over time from what I would call general commercial litigation to an increasing involvement with clients who operate their Primarily uh, consumer reporting agencies, uh, and so they're regulated under the Fair Credit Reporting Act and a number of state and you know mm-hmm. federal statutes, you know that kind of operate in parallel. So mm-hmm. I've developed a practice in this space with Christy Lawson out in the Orlando office and a couple of other Foley attorneys who do this sort of work. Another big part of my practice has to do with with consumer class actions broadly, and that could be food labeling, products liability really any number of things. And then I do some insurance brokerage work on the side, and that's really like broker negligence uh, actions.
0: I did that in a former life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's something that's interesting about it, and I've found that to be really a a pretty fruitful area of the law. Yeah.
0: Alleged broker negligence. Well, depending on who you're representing. How could I even
1: say it (laughs) without using the word alleged? That's right.
0: That's right. (laughs) Well, and can you tell me just a little bit more about the the first area with the consumer finance is litigation arising out? And I get the class actions, although I probably should have you say a little bit more about that because not everybody necessarily will get what that means day to day in practice for you. Is there sort of the, the counseling aspect as well as when someone's sort of suit is filed under a given statute or act or regulation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Maybe we could talk about the consumer finance aspect of it. And and then mm-hmm. to the class actions, just because I I don't know, I kind of think of them logically in that order in terms of my, my own progression. The consumer finance work, and this gets back to the Fair Credit Reporting Act and all of that. Basically, we're dealing with lawsuits where a plaintiff alleges that a consumer reporting agency inaccurately reported information on their credit report or some Mm. other form of consumer report um, or that the consumer report was provided to a third party without a permissible purpose or that, you know, a dispute regarding the accuracy of the information on the consumer report wasn't handled properly. So those are by and large single plaintiff lawsuits and uh, we handle them, Christy and I together, sort of on a national basis. And we've Mm. got a bunch of them going at at any given point in time. Yeah. And then that sort of dovetails, I think, into the class action work where we've had a few in that space, but more of it has to do with, like I said earlier, product labeling, product safety issues.
0: You're in California.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So we got...
0: So California has some... I'd say particular laws that you may not see other places. It's true. Yeah, that I could have, sorry, I just had this flashback
1: Mm -hmm. and I will
0: repeatedly say, I try not to talk a lot about myself, but I have to sometimes. So sorry, listeners. As a former employment lawyer, I knew enough to know that when stuff happened in California to go get a California employment lawyer because there's particular rules in California that... And the thing is, when you're in a large law firm and you have a nationwide practice and you're commonly under you know, federal law, these things won't matter as much. But California is a jurisdiction that I learned to, to assume I didn't know what was going on. And that's what I knew. <laughs> and,
1: and it's because we're special out here, obviously, and all of that. No, but California is really big on consumer protection mm-hmm. in a way that many other states are not. And so we've got a whole slew of consumer protection statutes and I think that that would include, you know, what you're talking about on the employment front, as well as sort of some substantive laws like Prop 65 about products that contain allegedly carcinogens. Alleged, alleged things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then it gets to, you know, the, the procedural uh, aspects as well of bringing a class action and, you know, how the courts have jurisdiction to deal with these issues and all of that. But altogether, I think it's a sort of a different, landscape than what we see in other states.
0: Well, and so also tell me more about you, John, because you've just done a great job at explaining the, I think the, the breadth of your practice, but I imagine you're balancing it along with other things in your life. So how have you found, you know, working at a large law firm while, and also, as you mentioned, like you're, you're around family. It's just, what is, what is life like for you? Well, it's a really broad question, but I want to know more.
1: Yeah, I know. Right. And maybe I should give some context and share that. I mean, we're, we're recording this podcast or is that what we're calling it
0: yes let's call it a podcast okay, we're, we're
1: recording this podcast in the midst of the global covid19 pandemic so lately life has involved a lot of time at home and then you know little adventures where it's just me and my wife and maybe we'll go drop in on my parents or her parents or something like that but what could i say more broadly if we set aside the past five, six yeah. months.
0: <laughs> what, was it, what was it like? Because I think now that you you said you're seven years into Foley, yeah, your senior counsel at the firm, it's this mix of, of, this podcast to me has two main aims. We get a lot of people, of course, from the firm listening. So it's a great way for people to just learn about you. But then also we are getting law students starting to listen. And I, I think that one, there's a couple of things that come to mind whenever it comes to like, how do you balance your life? How are you a whole person outside of work? A lot of times those questions are only asked of women. Yeah. Like just being honest with you. Yeah. So i just I'd be interested to hear what it has been like because it's of course it's no small feat to be you know a senior counsel at a large law firm. But I also find that at Foley, a lot of people really do have you know outside interests and you know still stay in touch with family. So we may have to talk a little bit about like pre-pandemic life. Right. And I know you mentioned there's that it sounds like you're into music, given that you have this awesome. Microphone in front of you. Right. I'm just trying to get a broader, further, broader sense. Yeah, yeah. It.
1: No, I, I, think that's <laughs> that's a good idea. Where could we start?
0: It sounds like there's a lot. I like that side. I, well, I
1: like there this. is. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I'm a guy who has a lot of hobbies. I like making music. I like building computers, and you know, playing video games, and going on adventures, and taking photos, and and all of this stuff. So I don't think of myself as as being defined by this career or this role necessarily. So beyond I can very those-
0: much relate to that, by the way, a yeah.
1: lot. Awesome. Okay. So I'm glad to hear it because beyond those like hobbies and things that I like to keep myself busy with, you know, I've got a busy family life and my parents are here and my in-laws are in Las Vegas and then we've got all the family in Lebanon and everything. So there's a lot to, to kind of like keep up with and spend time on. And then I have to figure out a way to make that work with my obligations, uh, you know, as an attorney. So
0: we've stumbled into a very interesting area here, which is, I think a lot of times being a lawyer very much defines people. Yeah. And so for you to say, Hey, there's a lot of things that I'm into and, um, being an attorney, you know, it's great, but it's not all there is. It's actually a relatively profound statement. I don't know if you knew that, but it is.
1: Hey, glad to hear it. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Right.
0: Yes, it, it really is. And I can relate to that because I'm someone, depending on the context in which you meet me, and of course, you know, within the firm and on, you know, like LinkedIn, it's very much, you know, director of diversity and inclusion, former lawyer, but, you know, photography is fun. I get very into wellness and well, well-being. Yeah. So some people just know that I'm also a certified Whole30 coach. <laughs> they have no idea that I'm, that I went to law school or I do this whole day job. Thing. Right. So I can identify with what you're with what you're saying,
1: and I'm I'm glad you're sharing this because I I mean you're right it's not necessarily a a common thing in the profession or in this line of work more broadly.
0: Well, and it, it, it's funny it is, but it it isn't. I do think there's something about the personality types attracted to law school that you know tend to be a bit more Type A going to law school is a tremendous investment, particularly if you're at a large firm it is also a tremendous vote for your time. Absolutely. So it's no surprise to me that it can have that additional tie to identity, but as we are navigating these just I mean I, to all the these strange times, these uncertain times, all these cliche <laughs> things right now, I think we're all really having to uh, consider a lot of aspects of self I suppose would be the yeah, the, the general way to do it but also finding, you know, so much more time at home right now. Yeah. And I don't know if you've had more time to build computers or less time <laughs> or which of your hobbies you've, you know, leaned on more that I'd be interested to hear hear about that though.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll say I have had more time. The challenge now has been figuring out a way to sort of leave the home office and know when to kind of just close the laptop and be done with the day. But once that happens, not getting stuck in traffic every morning has made a huge difference. So that uh, that means like an hour and a half I get back, and then not doing all the other things you know I have to do to to get ready in the morning and then go have lunch in the office and all of that. Not to say, I mean, I do miss those things in a sense. And I look forward to the time when, you know, yes, I, I can do some of that I again. <laughs> change
0: of, I do miss the change of scenery in my day. Yeah. That's and I actually went into the office for the first time in five months just last week. Wow. And um in Chicago we just they've renovated and we all have new offices. So I walked into a different floor in a different office. And I was so grateful (laughs) to not be in my house.
1: Yeah. It's
0: like, this is amazing. And um, I saw a handful. There aren't many other people around, of course. And you just have that like kind of wide-eyed over your mask (laughs) where you're like so happy to see
1: that. I know, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. But I, I do think it's important because this is actually something I haven't had a chance to talk about on the show is navigating the current environment. yeah, And I think so many of us are, we, we really are having this collective experience that's so similar, which doesn't happen that often to just hear that, you know, here's how I'm navigating it. Here's the pros of, you know, saved an hour and a half a day in traffic, but here's the cons.
1: Yeah. It has been a lot of time at home, no doubt, but I think, I mean, you just figure out a way to, to find your flow right? During this time, figure out a way to set a schedule that works for you.
0: Well, and you also said knowing when to close that computer. And I think that's also very hard.
1: It is, especially, you know, in in the evening where maybe you don't feel like doing one of those other fun things and you want to just catch up, get ahead for the next day. At least that's the feeling that I get yes. a good part of the time. So sometimes I will just sit down and, you know, finish editing that brief that needs to go out.
0: Right, Cause you're here, the computer's there, it's already exactly, on. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I find I don't turn my computer off and obviously it's very different what I do than, than practicing, but just the fact that it's always on, I can just run upstairs log in yep. do whatever at odd hours of the day and it i do think it's tough learning how to modulate that but it's important although john and maybe one of the roughest transitions we we could make i actually Dipping want to go it. back go back a bit to being basically first generation american yeah. and i'm not even quite sure what my particular question is so we're just going to i'm just going to talk and we're going to see what you you pick up on <laughs> but but I've definitely heard about some sort of uniform experiences for first generation, you know, Americans, whether it be whatever country they're from, in terms of whether it be familial expectations, parenting dynamics. I know it wasn't your parents, maybe weren't thrilled for you to go to New York, but they got you back. But then also that experience, like you said, going back to the a foot in two worlds. And do you still have that feeling now that you're practicing? Do you, or do you feel like there's any sort of uniform experiences that first generation? folks have in large law firms, or maybe even a lack of representation.
1: Yeah, I I don't know how much I can generalize about this based on my own experience. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's super true. So thank you for saying that.
1: At the same time, you know, you, I'll speak on on my own behalf. I find <laughs> that I have an easier time relating to people who've had sort of a, a similar experience in this sense, or, or who have found themselves, you know, kind of with a foot in, in two worlds, like you've said, because... It is kind of a different way of living to know that every day I spend here, I've got, you know, dozens and dozens of family members all the way across the world living, you know, a different life, 10 hours ahead of me. And, you know, we talk when we can and we visit as often as we can, but it's a different culture. It's a different way of living. And I think it had a lot to do with my upbringing and then just a lot to do with the way that I see the world. So there's a lot,
0: your perspective.
1: Yeah. I I think there's just a lot to be said for, for, for having a lot of family in a different part of the world and knowing that, that life is happening for them all the time, just like it's happening for us here, but it's a different life. And I can sort of plug myself in and unplug from that Mm -hmm. on demand, you know, once or once every year or two.
0: Well, and the, my uh, diversity and inclusion professional hat that I wear, I still have it on, I guess, when I'm doing this show, but I also just, I'm very interested in sort of the the cultural competencies as well that people have as a result of having exposure to, you know, variety of things in their life, but also what will often get called, I believe it's unconscious competence, right? So that being able to navigate, you know, whether it be here in the U.S. or, you know, in LA or in the office. And then like, as you mentioned, spending so much time in Lebanon, being able to presumably go to Lebanon and navigate the world there as well. I think for someone like myself who hasn't had that experience, I don't have the kind of two different cultures that I can equally navigate in. And so I just find that, that very fascinating.
1: Yeah. I I find it fascinating as well and sort of troubling at times, you know, when I'm mm. forgetting a word in Arabic that I, <laughs> that mm-hmm. I used to know and that sort of thing. So it may have been easier in in a sense when I was younger, younger. to yeah. kind of navigate the, the two cultures. And now I've grown more uh, in this direction, of course, but it's still, I think, a, a really important. Yeah. Part of who I am.
0: Have you been able to use Arabic at all in your practice? So from,
1: from time to time, uh, yes. And so part of it has been with pro bono clients. And I do immigration work for a, a few families on a pro bono basis where we help them out with well any number of things. And then there have been other clients who've come along, fashion industry and other industries as well, where our primary contact there is from the Middle East or, you know, speaks Arabic and, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, lives uh, here in the U S and we've connected in that way. So I I think it's been helpful, you know, in many ways, and perhaps there are other opportunities to, to build business and build relationships more broadly in that way. But part of what that's going to involve on my part is brushing up on (laughs) business and legal Arabic, which I have no command over. (laughs) And it's more, you know, the colloquial stuff that lay people talk about.
0: Right. I'm sorry. That just (laughs) reminds me many years ago as advice to law students that was like, if you are, you know, conversational or proficient and, you know, another language, certainly put it on your resume. But do know that if you don't know certain like legal terms, like legal terminology, you know, you may need to brush up on that because I've heard of people who are like, yeah, I'm 1000% fluent in X. And then they meet someone else who truly is also in the professional context and they don't, they don't know keywords. Yeah, it
1: really is sort of a problem. I mean, I can offer a little bit of a story here, actually. Oh my
0: gosh, please (laughs) tell me, you have to tell me.
1: So growing up, I was fortunate to go to a school where we started learning Spanish in, it must have been second grade or so. So we had several years of instruction in Spanish for all of elementary school and middle school and high school, and then also in college. I I don't know what that brings us up to in terms of years of Spanish education. It's a lot. Yeah, I would not consider myself a, a fluent speaker at all. But I I can understand uh, and speak enough to be, you know, dangerous. The problem is when you get into a matter that's really, and I'm talking about a legal matter, that's really heavy on review of documents that are primarily written in Spanish and not, you know, lay people's Spanish, but part of the language that really concerns what we're doing as lawyers, and it is incredibly difficult to understand if you don't have that background. So I quickly figured out that uh, that probably was not, you know, one of the the strong suits in in my own practice.
0: Yeah, when we get those occasional emails that go firm wide, they're like, "Is anybody fluent in name, you know, X language?" Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe you wouldn't raise your hand before, but you're like, "I exactly. definitely won't I
1: now." Definitely won't <laughs> now. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, well, okay. So as we're wrapping down our time here. Wrapping down, I think that does not make any sense. As we're winding down our time here, I have to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, which is advice you have, insights you have on your practice. So whether you would want to style it as advice you could have given your 18-year-old self you know who's about to head off to college and then head off to law school, or just direct advice to law students... And I leave this broad because I find that people actually have something that they they actually really want to share, whether that be advice on how to navigate legal or things you wish they knew about this firm. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think this gets back in part to that discussion we had earlier about on-campus interviews and what I alluded to, which were some other memorable interviews. There's one of them that comes to mind. And I walked in the room and I handed, there were two partners from From a law firm. And I handed one of them, you know, this package with my writing sample and transcript and whatever else. And he took a look at it. And the other partner in the room starts asking me what I think about this painting on the wall. And so for 20 minutes, we talked about a painting on the wall. And I noticed at some point, you know, they're making sort of these hand gestures at one another. And it was probably clear, you know, to them that this wasn't going anywhere. But rather than, you know, kind of respecting my time and and allowing me to respect theirs. We kept having this conversation about a painting. What this brings me back to is this notion that the most important thing to do in the course of those interviews, in the course of the, the work you do to to try to find a firm to work at or an organization to work with is make sure there are good people who are working there. And by good people, I mean friendly people who are respectful and straightforward with you because that has made all the difference. And I've seen how many times many of my classmates from Columbia have moved from one law firm to another, to another, or quit the practice entirely. And it has so much to do with the people they've worked with or tried to work with, but couldn't be you know, reckoned with, I think. And I've found in my time at Foley that what really makes this firm great is the the great team of people we have here. And it's so readily apparent from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So keep your eyes open for those differences is what I would say in law school, at least.
0: That sounds like a sort of Painful 20 minutes talking about a painting on the
1: wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember it not being very fun. And then I was not surprised when I got the the letter <laughs> in the mail after that.
0: Yes. Okay, I rarely do this, but I'm just going to mine a little bit more from you on this. Do you yeah. have any other recommendations on how to know if there's good people? So of course, it's that, do you get that? Do you connect? Do people seem honest, candid, real during OCI? Do you have just any other... Th- Recommendations on how to tell if the people are good. I mean, you can tell. Feel free just to say no, and then we'll just end end the show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Done. A lot of it has to do, obviously, with you know your own intuition and and seeing how people are acting and all of that. And I'd say it goes beyond the on-campus interview. And if you find yourself in a law office for. For callback or you know, whatever other on-site interview, you can see are the doors open or are they closed? Are people raising their voices? Are attorneys treating administrative professionals, including their own assistants, with respect? Or is there something demeaning about their tone? And these are things that you can just kind of pick up on in passing and make little mental notes of because those are the things that that make a really, really big difference on a day-to-day basis. And You can bet that if doors are closed and if people are raising their voices with one another, that that's going to end up translating to, I think, a less positive experience overall.
0: Well, as usual, I'm glad I asked that follow-up question. You didn't know where it was going to go, but I think that's really good advice. You know, follow your intuition, but also pay attention to all those things when you're looking at a firm. And with that, I'll just have to say, John, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And also, the way I end every show, if somebody had questions and wanted to get in touch with you, is it okay if they find you on Foley's website and reach out? Absolutely. Please do. All right. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. I don't normally record custom outros for this podcast, but I did want to take a moment to follow up on a question that I think many of the listeners may have after John's episode. For those of you who are aware of that you know, massive and horrific explosion that occurred in Beirut in early August of 2020, I did not get a chance to ask John about whether his friends or family were affected by that. After the podcast, i had a chance to follow up with him and I inquired, he'd said that his grandmother lives a number of miles outside of Beirut. She did experience some broken windows, but that overall his friends and family are doing okay. So in case anybody was curious, I wanted you to know that. And once again, thanks so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.